This is Radiance Tape Number JD43C, a message by Jim Durkin, entitled, How Satan Rules. Remember last week that I ministered on the subject, spiritual warfare. I'm going to continue on that theme tonight. Some of the things I'm going to say, pray God will give me that economy of words necessary to keep the message down to proper length, and yet that I take enough time to explain what I'm saying so you understand it clearly, because some of the things that I'm going to say from just an immediate intellectual point of view, and I warn you now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you do not allow your intellects to get in the way of listening to the message itself, because I'm going to be dealing with certain things which we as Christians do not deal with today in the overt sense. I'm going to be dealing with warfare, the death of people, what would seem like to many of us a brutal thing, but we must see things from God's point of view and from eternity's point of view, and understand that what God does, he does proper that he should. I'm going to go back and take a scripture in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, as a starting point. Verse 11 Put on God's whole armor, the armor of a heavy-armed soldier which God supplies, that you may be able successfully to stand against all the strategies and deceits of the devil. For we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the despotisms. Now remember, he's telling us where our real warfare is against the despotisms. Now, we know what a despot is in the normal sense, political sense, earthly sense. It's a ruler that rules dictatorially, despotically, arbitrarily, without regards to the needs of the people that he rules. So we're talking about we're contending not with physical opponents only, but against the despotisms, against the powers. Now, this is a different order of spiritual beings. And they're evil spiritual beings because the Bible talks about wrestling or contending against them. Against the master spirits who are the world rulers of this present darkness. Against the spirit forces of wickedness in the heavenly supernatural spheres. Therefore put on God's complete armor that ye may be able to resist and stand your ground in the evil day of danger. And having done all, the crisis demands to stand firmly in your place. Warfare. Now, I dealt how Satan operates in the spiritual realm, that is, the religious realm. Satan's realm is a spiritual realm in the sense that he is a spirit. He has a spirit body. He is a spirit, dwells in a spiritual realm. We cannot see him, he can see us. We cannot hear him in a normal sense of hearing, physical hearing, although that may be possible. But his normal contact with us is through reaching our spirit or our soul so that we are able to comprehend his meaning though he rarely ever reveals himself 
as Satan. What happens is that a thought comes into your mind. You think you are thinking a thought, whereas in truth, if you would test it against the Word of God, you would know immediately that you as a child of God did not originate that thought. Satan has the power either directly, which he rarely personally takes over something of this nature. He has the power through his fallen angels, those which have fallen away from God's grace and have become the enemies of God and man, even as Satan is. And an innumerable host of what the Bible calls demon or foul spirits, evil spirits, wicked spirits, all descriptive of the nature of this spiritual realm. It is a realm of darkness, a realm of evil, a realm that is designed to fill your mind, fill your soul, fill your spirit if possible, possess you entirely, and lead you into an eternity without God and without hope. But though it is the ultimate purpose of Satan to lead you to hell, his intermediate purpose is to get you to carry out his will. His will is to possess you. His will is to get you to surrender your will to his will so that he is able to use your hands. So the Bible tells us to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You do not yield these members to God, then they will be yielded to Satan and he will use them. Our bodies, the Bible says, our spirits and our souls have been bought with a price. Yield them to God. That is a positive motion toward God in which we yield ourselves to him. If we do not do this, we leave ourselves open to great delusion and great error. Satan operates in the religious realm. But the point that I want to cover tonight, the next in this series of messages, is how he operates in the political realm. Now we might say, well, what does this have to do with me? It has everything to do with us because we live in a political world. It is ruled over by kings who, for the most part, are not Christians as we understand it. Certainly that is true. When I say kings, I mean rulers in the general sense. Certainly this is true in some of the countries foreign to the United States where they outwardly worship and adhere to other gods who certainly have nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do with the God Jehovah. Nevertheless, they are rulers. And they have in their hands the power of life and death. Christians are living in those lands as they are in nearly every land on the face of the earth. Now I want to show you Satan's activity and what is necessary for us as Christians to combat that activity. And that God takes time to tell us what to do, very specific about it. But if we don't understand the warfare, we miss the whole point. 
We're liable to pray for the President of the United States to get saved because we realize there's a scripture in the Bible that says we ought to pray for our rulers. And that is true. We ought to pray that our rulers get saved if they're not. We ought to pray for kings and all in authority everywhere. But if we do not understand the warfare, our prayer is liable to be wrongly directed. We don't understand the meaning or the purpose of that prayer. And so our prayer is, Lord, save them. But that's not why Paul says we ought to pray for them. There's a deeper reason that we ought to pray for them. And after I expand this a little bit, we'll come back to the reason we ought to pray for them. Now, I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, and the 19th verse. Paul here is talking about idols now. What say I then, that the idol is anything? Now remember that in those days, the idols that were worshipped in nearly every case was the idol god of that nation, and the king gave loyalty and obedience to that god. So that God, in many cases, directed the king in his actions. In the Old Testament, we find the northern tribes, when they went away from the true God and began to follow after other gods, notice this now, other gods, the true God, singular, other gods, many, plural. And they began to build their idols. There arose up prophets, apparently empowered with an anointing which prophesied in the name of those gods to the king. And the king, when he wanted to go into battle or to know if he would succeed, would go before these idols, pray to them, sacrifice to them, and wait for a word from the prophets. And then they would come forth and in the name of that god or gods, they would, under an anointing, prophesy to the king. They would make maybe horns of iron, or they would make some other symbol, and then holding this up before the king, these horns, for instance, one particular case, said, With these thou shalt push the enemy until you have destroyed him completely. And they prophesied mightily. The prophet Elijah... This same northern kingdom, remember, ten tribes which had gone away from God, there had arisen up 400 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of the grove, which were worshipers of false gods. And when Elijah challenged the people of Israel by saying to them, the God that answers by fire, let him be God, the Bible talks about these 400 prophets of Baal prophesying from the morning until the evening. They called upon the name of their God. What are these gods? Now remember, these gods had prophets. These gods had a king which gave loyalty to these gods, followed the direction of these gods, led his people into war at the command of these gods. Who 
Who are these gods? Are they merely something in people's minds? Is it all merely trickery? Is it something that an evil priesthood dreams up and foists upon the people? Or is there something more sinister behind it all? Well, I tell you through the Word of God, the Lord revealing it to me, I tell you there's something more sinister behind it all. These gods have behind them personalities. Their intent is wholly evil. Their intent is to rule over every geographical division and subdivision, rule over, take mastery of every human upon the face of the earth, possess them utterly, and cause that nation to become a reflection of the personalities, these evil personalities, which are attempting to seize control of these people. Now, let me read a scripture. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 19th verse. What say I then, that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? Discussing a problem here, that in the places where this particular church was, that all of the meat was sacrificed first to idols. In other words, when it speaks of shambles, a butcher shop, that which is sold in the shambles, so forth. And these butchers, by law, would take the meat, and before they put it on the shelves, they would offer it to the various idols which the country adhered to nationally. So Paul is saying the idol is nothing to those who know the truth. has no power to hurt you, no power to disturb you, has no meaning to the Christian at all. But that does not mean it does not have power and it cannot bind people. What say I then that the idol is anything? Or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything? But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Now he's saying here, these men, and we would go by and we would see them, here would be some image of stone or wood or whatever it would be, overlaid with gold, and we would see them bow down to the idol, and we would say, how foolish. That idol is nothing, and there's nothing to their religion. Now, no greater mistake could be made. There is something to their religion. Because behind that idol... The Bible says the things which they sacrifice, that idol is nothing. But what they are sacrificing, they are sacrificing to devils. And the Greek brings out the word demons, demonizai. The demonic forces behind it, contacting those people and causing them to come to that idol, that representation, and offer in sacrifice that food or whatever it happens to be. But are these demon spirits and these fallen angels content only with obtaining obeisance from them to capture my heart so that I will take knees which are meant to bow down to Almighty God and confess the name of Jesus? Are they content to only take those knees and cause them to bow down to themselves? My tongue 
which was meant to give praise to God? Are they content only to take my tongue and turn it into an instrument of cursing and vexation? No, they are not content with that alone. They wish to extend their dominion and their control totally over every facet of human life. Now, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Ye cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So Paul was telling these people to keep out of the idol temples. Now they said in their own mind there was nothing wrong. Some Christian people get into this. There is nothing wrong. I worship God. But it's expedient for me sometimes to go into an idol temple so that I don't offend the people. It is expedient for me to partake of the food at the altar of this idol temple so that I don't offend the people and later on I can tell them about Jesus and maybe some of them will get saved. Paul said to do this is to partake of the cup of demons. And he said, ye cannot be partaker of the cup of demons and partaker of the cup of the Lord. It must be one or it must be the other. Now, turn with me, please, to the book of Daniel. Tenth chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name is called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true. The time appointed was long. And he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now, please notice, this man, Daniel, wanted to know something from the Lord. And he set himself by means of Many scholars believe fasting and prayer, although what the King James says is no pleasant bread, so it may be that he merely had bread and water or something of that nature, just a flat bread, no salt in it and no leaven, just simply flat bread and water. That might have been what he had, a little bit of that, or he may have eaten no food at all, which I tend to believe. But nevertheless, whatever it was, he was doing what he called mourning, which is another word for fasting. Another place is called chastening of the soul. And he set his heart to find something from the Lord. He needed to know something, an understanding of the Word of God which he had not known heretofore. And he sought God for the meaning and the purpose of it. And after 21 days, there appeared unto him the angel, probably the angel Gabriel. But certainly it was an angel from God. And this angel gave to Daniel the meaning and the purpose of what would happen to his people at such and such a time. Showed him what it meant. And then when he was finished, I want to read these words to you. Then said he unto me, 12 first, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, now that's Michael the archangel, sometimes called the prince of the people of Israel, 
But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me, and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Now drop on down, please, to the 20th verse. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I am come to thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia, and when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Now here, this angel, understand, was dispatched by God the Father to go to Daniel. What day was he dispatched by God to go to Daniel? The Bible says on the first day that Daniel set his heart to understand. God the Father said to the angel, go to Daniel and give him the message. Daniel is a man greatly beloved. Daniel is a man whom I love greatly. Go and give him the message. But God honors such authority as exists. And there is a protocol. Do you want to call it that? There is a line of authority which has been established by God. And one day that satanic authority will be overthrown utterly. He will be bound. He will be put in chains. And all of his fallen angels and demons will be placed in the pit with him. But until that time, there is a certain authority that exists. And Satan has that authority. How did he get it? What is that authority? And what is the extent of it politically? It came to him as a result of the fall of man. God gave to Adam dominion over all of the earth. He gave him dominion over the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the animals of the field, and told him to subdue it, bring it under his authority. He said to Adam, I have given you this authority. It is yours. Now do it. And the gifts and the calling of God are not to be repented of or without repentance. The time will come when all authority will go back to God who gave it. But there is a time, and that time is which man lives upon this earth, that God gave to man certain authority, and he will not take it back until the time is fulfilled. He gave to Satan certain authority, and he will not take it back until the time is fulfilled. He gave to those angels certain authority, and it will not be taken back until the times are fulfilled. Now, Satan is seeking by every possible means to extend his authority further and further and further, to take everything that he can take and give up nothing. And so he came to Eve, tempted her in the garden. She fell. Now the Bible says, do you not know, words to this effect, that to whom you give yourself servants to obey, his servant you are whom you obey. Up to this point, she had been obeying God. She was God's servant. And that authority which she possessed under her husband was to serve godly purposes on the earth and the Garden of Eden had rest and the earth had rest. When she fell, she no longer was a servant of God, 
but became a servant of the devil. And such things as she had, her possessions, her life, everything that she possessed was transferred from her to her new master. There is no possibility of you and I taking on a master without giving that master everything. Now, God is different. He tells me I must give him everything, but until I give him everything, I have the right to retain it. I have the ability to retain what I wish to retain. God, in mercy and in kindness, gently by his Spirit, opens up to me the truth that I should surrender it all to him. And when that glorious truth dawns upon us, as servants of God, we say, Lord, all authority and power are truly yours. And everything that I have you've given to me, Lord, I give it freely to you. It isn't much, but use what you can of me. He becomes our master. But when Eve, who had authority under her husband, surrendered her will, surrendered her mind, surrendered her spirit and her soul to this satanic being, Satan himself, she gave to him such authority as she had. And then she came to her husband and listened to the crime of the century, the crime of 4,000, 6,000, 10,000 years, however long it's been. Adam, son of God, the Bible calls him. The first Adam and the second Adam. But look at the first Adam had authority in his hands from God to subdue the earth, to rule over it. God gave it to him. Eve came to him with her temptation and said, I have eaten of the fruit. Eat it also, husband. Now the Bible says the thing that she did, she did ignorantly. She did not understand the nature of her act. She did not understand the extent of her act. She did not understand what was really involved in it. But the Bible says of Adam, he fully understood what he was doing. And in so doing, all of the authority over the earth that God had placed in man's hands when he sinned and became a slave of the devil, that authority was snatched away from him and Satan took possession of it. And for 6,000 years, he has had possession of the world system. Satan came to Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, and two of the temptations I'll pass over, because they don't apply to this particular message tonight. But the third one is interesting. It says, the devil taketh him up to a mountain exceeding high, and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and the glory of them and said, if you will fall down and worship me, I will give all of this to you, for into my hand is this delivered. And Jesus, who never gave any truck to the devil when it came to telling him off when he saw a lie, said nothing at all to him except this, get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me. But he did not say, no, it isn't delivered into your hands, or no, you don't have authority over it, because what Satan said at that point was right. 
He rules over this world system. Now, when we get that idea in our mind, we think, well, yeah, kind of like he's kind of a, a bad fellow and uh, he tells a lot of bad things around and people do a lot of bad. No, no, that's not what the Bible teaches. He rules over this world system. It's political divisions and it's political subdivisions. The financial things of this world, the religious things of this world outside of Jesus Christ and his truth. And many of the churches which name the name of Christ and have long since departed from the faith, he rules over them also. Religiously, politically, financially, and over the bodies and the minds of countless millions of people, he is the undisputed master of those people. And there is an authority that exists, and God himself will not violate it except along certain lines. And those lines must be adhered to, and we must understand what they are, and what our authority is, and what the warfare is, and how we can defeat him. Because though we are not going to deliver the whole world, because the Bible tells us that's so, straight is the gate, narrow the way, few there be that find it, yet our commission is to open the prison house, to let the captives go free to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke, and to break the bands of wickedness. That is our commission. But they're going to have to be broken. Those doors are going to have to be ripped open. Those oppressed are going to have to be set free by hurling back the forces of the enemy. For they are in strong positions. This world is ruled over when we look at our government and we think of a king and under him certain dukes and barons, if we're looking at medieval kings, rulers, or ancient monarchs, even our presidency would be the same way. And we think, how well organized this, 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 so that every division of life is covered. The laws extend everywhere. The authority extends everywhere. The political power extends everywhere. The hand of law and the hand of government extend everywhere. How well and carefully organized it is. It rules over every person. But I tell you, as well organized as our governments are, the governments of the world, it is not even a pittance compared to the organization and the rule in the spiritual realm over the nations. And until... Something that Daniel did, 21 days of fasting and prayer, and Gabriel the messenger angel came, and he found meeting him, for Daniel was in Persia, he found meeting him a satanic prince called the Prince of Persia. And behind him were other angels and demon beings, demon spirits, standing there, and when he came dispatched from God to go through that nation to Daniel, he was resisted by a powerful fallen angel that said, you cannot go through here. We say, oh, well, my, I don't understand that. It just seems to me that Gabriel just goes zipping right. Not so. That's what the Bible revealed. He didn't go zipping through there. Not through here. 
And I can see the angel Gabriel standing up and saying, I have a command from Almighty God, and I will deliver that message. Not through here. And the Bible tells us for 21 days, the prince of Persia withstood him. Daniel, thank you, brother Daniel, for setting an example for us. You continue to pray and fast until. Now, I don't know what connection there is between praying and fasting and whatever order of authority that exists in the heavenlies, whatever order of authority exists with God, but I know that part of it was to do with Daniel fasting and praying for those 21 days until. And the angel Gabriel insisting upon entrance, calling upon God, saying, show me, Father, what to do. You've commanded me to go through. What do I do? And he kept on that resistance. There was a confrontation for 21 days until the Bible says, Michael, the prince of your people, speaking of the Jews, Michael, the archangel, stood up and said, make way. And he said, I am come for your word. Warfare. Now, Daniel knew how to war in the political realm. Daniel knew how to war in the religious realm. Daniel knew how to war in the spiritual realm. In our day and time, Satan has very carefully kept our minds completely closed that anything like this even exists. And when he was finished talking to Daniel, listen to his words. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I have come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. Prince of Grecia, prince of Persia. And as we see tonight, there's a king of Tyre. And there's a prince or a king over every nation on the face of the earth. And under him, in complete order and authority, though that's an order and authority of fear, of complete order and authority is a well-organized political force. All right, turn with me, please, to Ezekiel 28. Now, this makes it so clear. Then we'll go back to Isaiah. Now, I want you to look at chapter 27 first. First verse, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying... Now, thou son of man, take up a lamentation for Tyrus. Now, this great prophet Ezekiel is going to prophesy against an ancient city called Tyrus. And say unto Tyrus, O thou that art situate at the entry of the sea. Now, I want you to notice something here. He's going to first of all talk to the city, this inanimate object where there are houses and buildings and so forth. He's going to talk, in essence, to the people. But then you're going to notice a subtle change in part of it where he stops talking to buildings or people and he talks to something beyond the city and beyond the people and beyond the earthly prince. And say unto Tyrus, O thou that art situate at the entry of the sea, which are the merchants of the people for many lands. Thus saith the Lord God, O Tyrus, thou hast said, I am of perfect beauty. Now, who do you know from your study of Scripture? 
that was described that way. Lucifer, Satan, right. Lucifer was described this way. And here we find the people of this city making a similar statement about themselves. We are of perfect beauty. The point that I'm going to make is that the earthly cities that are ruled over by Satan to the extent that he has control over them, in other words, to whatever extent God's authority has not penetrated that area, to that extent, those cities, those institutions, those people will be a reflection of the evil power behind them. The things they do, the things they say, the things they create, are actually the expression of the evil power behind them. I was astounded. The thing that took hold of me spiritually when I was down in Los Angeles came up over a hill, and as we topped the rise of that hill, looked at that great city. And I saw great buildings standing up on a skyline, and a feeling came over me that was not just a soulish feeling, but a revelation of God, like all of those buildings had literally been pushed up out of the earth and were held there by the force of man and held there by the force of evil. And one day all of that force and that power would be broken and those buildings would slide back down into the dirt from which they came. But those cities, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, with their violence and their evil and their sin, I tell you are the reflection of these powerful, evil rulers that rule over those cities, and the people have given themselves over to licentiousness and their lies and their cities and their buildings and their institutions reflect that evil power. O Tyrus, which are situate in the entry of the seas, you have said, I am of perfect beauty. This city of Tyre is a very interesting city. Just like God has set his name in his city, Jerusalem, so Satan had set his name in this city. Now it's changed because God destroyed the city. Hallelujah. Thy borders are in the midst of the seas. Thy builders have perfected thy beauty. They have made all thy shipboards of fir trees of Sinair. They have taken cedars from Lebanon to make masks for thee. Of the oaks of Bashan have they made thee oars. The company of the Asherites have made thy benches of ivory brought out of the isles of Chittim. Fine linen with broidered work from Egypt. In other words, it's describing the outward beauty of that city, how they were decked out to perfect that beauty. Now, if you were to look at them on the outward alone, you would say, what a beautiful city. Look at the garments. Look at the buildings. Look at the treasures. Look at the institutions. Look at the art. Look at the... But today I'm going to call your attention to look at something beyond that. That city saying, I am of perfect beauty. Turn with me to the 28th chapter. 
Now, you can read this 27 because both 27 and 28 have to deal with this city. The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyrus, Thus saith the Lord God, because thine heart is lifted up, and thou hast said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Now, who do you know that says something like that? That's right. Satan said, I will be like God. I will put my throne on the sides of the north. I will unseat God. I will be like God. Now, here we find a city saying, I am of perfect beauty. That's what Satan said about himself. Here we find the prince, the natural prince, saying, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God. God said to him, you are no God. I am a God. I sit in the seat of God in the midst of the seas. Yet thou art a man and not God. Though thou set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, thou art wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. Talking to a man now. With thy wisdom and with thine understanding, thou hast gotten the riches and hast gotten gold and silver into thy treasures. By thy great wisdom and by thy traffic, thou hast increased thy riches and thine heart is lifted up because of thy riches. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God. Now, let's stop. Let's make another comparison between this earthly prince and someone else we know something about. Perfect in beauty. God said about Satan in the day you were created, you are perfect in wisdom. And it says about this earthly prince of Tyrus, by thy great wisdom thou hast gotten the riches and gold and silver and increased thy traffic greatly. By your understanding you have done this, that, and the other thing. There is no secret that they can hide from thee. What kind of a man was this? What power did he possess that could sit in a little city, an island city, and literally by his wisdom raise up a great thing that the people could say, we are perfected in beauty. Was this the work of men? No, it was not. Was this the work of a man? No, it was not. Though it seemed like it to those who could not see. Let's read on. After God finishes dealing with this man. Seventh verse, Behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit, and thou shalt die the deaths of them that are slain in the midst of the seas. Wilt thou yet say before him that slayeth thee, I am God, but thou shalt be a man and no God in the hand of him that slayeth thee. Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Now notice a change. He's talking, first of all, to that earthly prince. 
He first dealt with the city and the people. Now he dealt with the earthly prince, every one of them reflecting this satanic attitude. Now he talks completely beyond to something really the base of it all. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus. Remember, the first lamentation was against the people in the city. The second lamentation was against the prince of Tyrus, the earthly prince of Tyrus. Now he's talking about what? The king of Tyrus. Well, let's find out who this king of Tyrus is. Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Whoever this was had been in Eden. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle and gold, the workmanship of thy cabarets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Who is this? Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created until iniquity was found in thee. Who is he talking about? He's talking about Satan. He calls him the king of Tyrus. King of Tyrus, a spiritual being. Arch enemy of God and man. Satan, Lucifer, fallen. Chooser of the brethren. What is his seat? At this time, Tyrus was the name of the city that he chose to put his name there. But he, following his method, does not reveal himself openly. He finds a flunky, a front man, and allows him to call himself anything he will as long as he does the will of Satan. He becomes the outward titular head of the nation. But God calls him what he is, Prince of Tyrus, because there's a king over that nation, an unseen king. God reveals who that king is, Satan himself, the one who said, I am perfect in beauty, perfect in wisdom. I will be like God. I will put my throne on the sides of the north. And ever since God has cast him out of heaven, he has been trying to establish his throne in the heavenlies and on the earth. He picked Babylon at one time for the seat of his power, and God overthrew it. Said, I'll make it the hold of every foul bird. Jackals and hyenas will dwell there, and they will never rebuild it again. God smote it off the face of the earth and destroyed his place, his seat of authority. Then he found for himself something, a different place at this time. And he made his place Tyrus, and God said, I will bring that city to ruin, and he destroyed it. It never rose up again to its power. He ruined it and never allowed it to be built again. Well, the Bible tells us that Babylon... There's going to be an attempt to build it, but not the city, a spiritual Babylon. And Satan will make his last stand there. 
last empire there. Let's go on a little more. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. See, that's always what happens when Satan does his trip. It always ends up in violence. And thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. In other words, he started reasoning against God. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuary by the multitude of thine iniquities. By the iniquity of thy traffic, therefore I will bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Now listen, please, to this next verse. It is a tremendous verse to reveal something about some of the rulers that exist upon the earth or have existed. And all they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and thou shalt never be any more. All they that know thee among the people. Now what he's literally saying, there are some people who know Satan, and they know him just as we know God. And they receive from him his wisdom, his power, his strength, his cunning. And they are able for whatever time God gives them on the earth to walk with their eyes standing out with fatness. They are allowed to say things about the Most High God. They are allowed to walk through the earth and none can stay their hand until God brings them down to death. Hitler's, Mussolini's, Stalin's, Alexander the Great's, conquerors, geniuses, brilliant generals with tiny armies, some of them large armies. But if you look at the conquerors on the earth, most of them have literally led small armies in comparison to the great enemies that they had on every hand. Alexander the Great was from a small city-state in Greece. And yet before he was 35 years of age, he had conquered all of the known earth. His genius, his brilliance, his strategy, his power over his soldiers, their commitment to him was unmatched in all the earth. They that know thee among the people. Alexander the Great, I have no doubt, knew the devil well. Knew him well. Napoleon, the little corporal, springing up from humble beginnings, should have had no place in France, yet by his brilliance, his cunning, his wisdom, his genius, rose up until God brought him to the earth. They that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee when they see thee. They have already been brought down, these human front men. They have already gone down to death. They are already in hell. But Satan, as soon as they are brought down, leaves them and finds another one and raises him up and then another one and raises him up. 
And when death takes them one after the other, he simply moves from one to the other until the culminating time. When the one that the Bible prophesies about, the man of sin, the Antichrist, which will be the very incarnation of Satan himself. And the Bible says the devil will give him his power. Satan rules this world politically. Now, what application does that have for you and I? Well, I want you to know that Satan wants you dead. No, most likely you are not going to fall away from the Lord. You have committed yourselves, that is the majority of you have committed yourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and to God the Father. You love not your lives unto the death. You are willing to do everything and anything that is possible for you to do to serve God. And Satan wants you dead. You are a danger to his kingdom. You are a threat to his power. This brother who testified tonight and all the rest of you that are here, somebody gave you the word of eternal life and they by the power of that word went right into the devil's prison house of sin and ripped off the doors and tore somebody out of his kingdom and put him in the kingdom of God. No, Satan wants you dead. Well, hallelujah, God wants you alive. Hallelujah. 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 But what does the Bible tell us to do? It says to pray for our rulers that we may lead a godly and peaceable life. If we pray for our rulers, remember these rulers, the Bible says there is no power but of God. And these rulers, the Bible says of them, not referring to all of them, but he raised us up out of the vilest of men, men who will rule. Pharaoh was a vile man. He saw miracles which I have never seen in my lifetime and may never see because God may not repeat that type of thing again. He saw ten dramatic and glorious expressions of God's power, which even his own magicians and his soothsayers said, this is the finger of God, Pharaoh. We cannot duplicate it. And Pharaoh still hardened his heart yet the more and fought against God and resisted God. He truly was an instrument of the devil. The devil laid it upon Pharaoh's heart to make the load of the Israelites a cruel and a bitter load. They worked. They were slaves. They were brought into slavery. He commanded that they would take the men child and kill them and let the women child live. The Israelites were expanding so fast. They were multiplying so fast that he was trying to hold them in check and he ordered that their male children should be slain. He made it a bitter and heavy load. He made them slaves. He took everything away from them. And for 400 years they were slaves. When Moses came and said, let these people of God go three days into the wilderness to sacrifice to God, not only would he not do it, 
But then Satan stirred up his heart and he said, these people are idle. Henceforth, they have been making bricks and we've been giving them the straw. But henceforth, they will now go and gather the straw for themselves and let not the tail of the bricks be diminished by one ox. And the taskmasters were hired upon them and they beat them and clubbed them and whipped them and drove them. Satan knew whose people these were and he was trying to kill them. God was getting ready to deliver them out of bondage. And God, through miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, brought the power of Egypt to ruin. And the people said to Pharaoh, Do you not even know now that the nation is destroyed? Let these people go. Oh, brother, I'm going to tell you something. If you know how to pray, God can make it so hot that they'd be mighty glad to let you go. Hallelujah. Paul got through praying in the prison. Devil had him beaten. Stirred up those jailers and they clubbed him and they beat him and they beat him and threw him in the deepest dungeon. He didn't get mad at the jailers. Say, God, kill the jailers, send fire down on them, do this, that, and the other thing. Because he knew his warfare was not against flesh and blood. He began to war in the spiritual realm. He knew where the real warfare was. And I can imagine Satan on his left side and one of his fallen angels on the right side or whatever saying, Here, this is the God you serve, Paul. He lets you be beaten. See who's really got power? I've got the power. I've beat you and I've clubbed you and I'm going to kill you. What are you going to do about it now? Paul said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do about it. Sitting there in the stocks with his neck bound and his hands in and his back raw, he said, Hallelujah! Silas? Yes, Paul. You got the harmony for that? I'm ready. Hallelujah! What's going on here? The devil's saying, back off, Paul. Don't mean a word about it at all. Too late, man. You get that guy going. <laughs> you just couldn't stop. And he let out one more time and said, God sent a mighty earthquake. Hallelujah. Stocks broke off his neck. The doors were all open. Jailer rushing who had just beat him before, no doubt. Ready to kill himself? What a man Paul was. His warfare wasn't against flesh and blood. He said, hey, his back all bloody and raw, neck hurting, hands raw. Silas bent over the same way, said, hey, wait a minute, Joe, don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. And that jailer breaking in and falling down on his knees said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said unto him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in your whole household. Hallelujah. And that night, the Bible says, the jailer took him home. Praise God. Hallelujah. Fixed his back all up. He said, Now, how do I get baptized? Paul said, I can take care of that too. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, there was a hostile world all around Paul. Hostile rulers, 
They finally killed him in the province of God. It was permitted. Paul said, I know I finished. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I am now ready to be offered a sacrifice. Hallelujah. That's all right. All in the hands of God. But Paul passed on some important words to us. He said, I will that ye should lift up holy hands, praying for all men everywhere, and especially for who? Rulers and all in authority, that we may lead godly and peaceable lives. You have the power. Now, I tell you, for whatever it's worth, we are never to condemn our rulers. We are never to get a spirit in our heart that we're anti-government or anti-king or anti-president or anti-anything. The Bible says the powers that be are ordained of God, and we are to obey them. Bible says that rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil works. We are to obey them, support them, but above all things, the Bible says, we are to pray for them. Because I'm going to tell you what's happening. Just as these rulers are, for the most part, front men for Satan, not even knowing many times what they're doing. Some of them do, but many of them don't. They only know that they're stirred up to do certain things, and they say, What is this religious group that's springing up here? We've got to do something about it. I received 47 phone calls today, and my, I'm going to be put out of my office if I don't do something. And so they get stirred up, and they say, You people here, we're going to do this and that and the other thing, and we're warning you, you can't do this in our city, and so forth and so on. They don't know that they're mouthpieces many times for Satan himself. But you have the power until God ordains it to be differently. You have the power by prayer and by praise. Now that's the spiritual realm. By prayer and by praise to enter into that spiritual realm and break the power of Satan over those men as far as we're concerned. They may be evil men, they may be wicked men, they may do all kinds of things that are wrong, but if you know how to enter into that spiritual realm, and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, break the power of Satan, break the power of those evil princes over these rulers, they will not only leave us alone, the Bible says they will praise us. You have that power in your hand. The Bible tells us to honor them. This is on the physical level. Honor them. Pray for them. Obey their ordinances. Walk in the truth. And you have the power for long periods of time to receive both the praise of God and the praise of men to have the favor of God and the favor of men. We do not have to until God ordained it to be so. We will receive persecution as individuals. On occasion, we will also receive persecution of the whole governmental system against the Christians in general. But I tell you before God, for long periods of time by obeying the laws of God and knowing how to wield power in that spiritual realm, we have the power to cause those men to hear and to obey the voice of God regarding us. 
Now, nothing can be clearer than this in Scripture. When the children of God had gotten their sins out of their system, when they were taken captivity by the Babylonians for their 490 years desecration of God's laws, and he sent them into Babylon for 70 years when they about finished the 70 years, and they got idol worship out of their system once and for all, and they really did. They were finished with it. When they went back, they never went back to idol worship again. They got their craw full of it. And they went into this king who had no more interest in them going a thousand miles away and he giving them money so they could go build a temple to some god he didn't even know anything about much. But these men prayed. Daniel prayed. The Jews prayed and cried out to God. And God stirred up the heart of this Persian king. And one day he rose up and he said, I have heard from God. Now, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Nebuchadnezzar heard from God. There is some peculiar relationship about a man in a place of rule that even though he himself at times can be vile and evil on the personal level, even as we were before we found Christ, yet that man, because he's in a place of rule, sometimes hears from God in a way that he knows he's heard from God. Lincoln declared that he had heard from God. In the Bible, it tells us about the king of Egypt that went to a certain land, and the king's there stayed his hand, and he said, Do not deter me. I have an urgent command from God to go and commit war on a certain nation. And they got out of his way. They recognized that he had heard from God. Cyrus heard from God. Other kings have heard from God. And they knew they had heard from God. And they knew they were instruments in the hands of God. And I'm telling you, by the same token, if you know how to do it, we'll show you before this series of messages is over, you can learn how to go into that spiritual realm and break the power of Satan and allow our political system to give us free reign, hallelujah, to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ until such time for God's own glory, he allows persecution to come upon us. Now, let me give a word of warning to each of you that are here. I know that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a truism, and nothing can ever change it. God himself said it. And I know there are times when God definitely allows persecution to come upon his people, and that's for a purpose too. But I'm telling you something tonight. Do not look for persecution. Do not invite it. Do not bring it down upon your head by foolish actions. Do what the Bible says. Obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Let us literally become the examples to this lawless generation that we have learned the truth of God's Word and we will obey every ordinance of man. We will honor all that are in authority. We will pay custom and tribute and honor. And in so doing, learning one more thing, how to go into that spiritual realm and break Satan's power, break open a hole whereby the angels of God may come and minister to that ruler or those rulers and speak to them, I'm telling you this, that you will see time and again 
that the authorities, the powers that be, really are ordained of God for your good. And they will protect you and defend you and step in to help you again and again and again until the time that God, for his own purposes, allows the church to be persecuted. Now, let us get ready for warfare. And the warfare is not against the president. The warfare is not against the Queen of England. The warfare is not against the dictators in South America. The warfare is against Satan and his forces. And that's where we have to learn the battle. Now, next week, I'm going to show you how he operates financially. After that, I'll show you how he operates by bringing nations into war. After that, I'll show you how he operates to create sickness, madness, disease, and physical impairment. After that, I'll show you how he attacks and accuses the brethren. After that, I'll show you how he possesses and torments people. All of these are his activities to bring men and women under his power, under his domination, to create utter cripples out of Christians if he can, to drive them insane, to fill their bodies with disease, to impair them so they cannot work for God. He does this also in the world to create fear. The Bible says Satan holds all men everywhere except the Christians in bondage by fear. What fear? The fear of death. He makes them fear for disease, and he makes them do certain things as a result of that, bringing them into more bondage. That's his method. Fear, bondage, his dominion. He takes dominion by cunning. He takes dominion by deceit. He takes dominion by lying to us. He blinds us. He tricks us. He deceives us. And those that do not understand his ways or his wiles or his methods... They're fair prey for him, and he blinds the eyes of them that believe not. But to those of us who know this word, to those of us who practice this word, to those of us who engage in this spiritual warfare as God has laid down to us, I tell you before God, we're going to break the force and the power of the enemy and see a great moving of the Spirit in our generation. Now will you bow your head with me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we begin to understand just a little of the purpose for which you are revealing these truths to us. Our minds in times past, Father, have been blinded to the real reality of what you were saying. Almighty God, show us clearly, positively, again and again, until it's rooted deep in our spirits and our minds, Lord, that our warfare is not against men, but against these spiritual forces of darkness. Oh, Lord, thank you for binding every force that would try to disturb in this meeting. And you have kept men's thoughts and minds in captivity to your purposes, Lord. And you have said this is what you would do, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds bringing into captivity every thought and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Thank you, Father, for doing that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And we stand here, Lord, in this hostile world, 
feeling completely your mantle of protection. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Salamahatondo. And Lord, when the enemy is stirred up and it is in your province of your will, and you allow him to come at us with all of the force and the anger and the wrath he has as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Oh, Lord, let us be so skilled in the use of our weapons in those days that, Lord, when we have been fought to a standstill, and we have done all that we can to stand, then, Lord, let us do what your word says. Let us stand and not give up an inch of the territory we take in. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And now, Father, we go from this place, but not from thy presence. And we go from this building, but we go to do your work, Lord, out there. Hallelujah. And, Lord, let us pray for all men everywhere. Let us not forget to pray for our rulers, that they will hear your voice, Father and they will be moved upon by your Spirit, that we may lead godly and peaceable lives and have free access to preach the gospel throughout the earth. Grant it, Father. Grant it that we will war according to your truth in this area and open up doors, great doors, and effectual before us, we pray, Lord. For we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.